Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. This is Dan coming to you from the cabin at the Fargo Hunting Club today. Uh, fulfilling my commitment to provide new content on a weekly basis at the beginning of this year. And uh, I've had a couple... Well, coming into deer season and coming into the holidays, I was hoping to get ahead a little bit and get some in the can so that uh, any little stumbling blocks weren't going to uh, cause me to not be able to fulfill that commitment. And I had a few couple people who need to cancel. Kind of caught me behind, and then I'm down here, and and I thought... uh, Maybe I would get somebody from down here to do podcast, uh, but I'm just not sure if that's going to be able to happen or not. Somebody from the meetings down around uh, in the Orange County, Orange Crawford County, Indiana area. I've been going to some meetings, but uh, have not asked anybody yet. Frankly, I'm a little uh, scared to do that. Uh Around home, I've been able to promote the podcast pretty well, but uh, down here, uh, not so much so. I did talk about it a little bit on Sunday night. So why am I here? Let's back up. Uh, Dad, my brother, and I built this cabin in the fall of 1999. That is 20 years ago uh, this fall. We've been coming down here... uh, on a really regular basis, sometimes more than others. It's kind of slowed down here recently. I think it's just an ebb, ebb and a flow of uh, life. We used to come down. I used to. I would say I probably spent two weekends a month here for a long time. And used to come down here a lot when my kids were little. Uh, my my then wife was working a weekend shift as a nurse, and. I would have the kids on the weekend and would come down here with my father and the kids and she could come home and sleep all, she was working night shift also. So uh, we weren't uh, disturbing her in the daytime and uh, kind of felt like a, almost like a service thing. And I think it probably was to some extent and it was also an escape because I could come down here and drink and and do what I wanted to do without having to worry about uh, any uh, perceived judgment from her. So. Time went by, and uh, I continued to get into my well. My disease progressed, and in uh, what was it, February of 2015, uh, I was sentenced to three years with the Indiana Department of Corrections. Now that sentence went as such. One year to be spent on uh, home incarceration with the Floyd County Community Corrections. A uh, year to be spent on probation. And the other year was suspended pending successful completion of the other two. In October or so of 2015, I had worked the steps I was a free man in my heart. Uh, I was still wearing an ankle bracelet. I was going to lots of meetings, uh, fully participating in my recovery. And uh, my angel, Janine, down at Floyd County Community Corrections, uh, offered something to me about wanting to know if maybe I could uh, get off the ankle bracelet a little early 
and serve out the rest of my one-year home incarceration sentence uh, under a program they called day reporting, which meant I wouldn't have an ankle bracelet anymore. I could turn in my breathalyzer that was installed in my house, and I could uh, I would need then need to call her every day instead, which was no big deal. I was already calling my sponsor every day. Uh, and actually, she, uh, one thing she, I could do with her was to, uh, well, usually I left voicemails, but I could text um, and leave her a message to check in. And of course, I uh, took her up on that deal. Uh, the Pirates of B signed off on it. And on November the 4th, I had made arrangements with her and my family to come to the cabin after turning in my equipment. So I had uh, my car was packed with my hunting gear and enough stuff to come down here and stay a couple weeks. I uh, disconnected my breathalyzer from the house, drove down to Floyd County Community Corrections, turned in my breathalyzer. They removed my ankle bracelet off my ankle. And I got my traveling papers from Janine. Uh, one thing I was just a little concerned about it was if I was rolling around and uh, I didn't want any kind of like uh, uh, hiccup in the paperwork and the computers and whatnot. And if I was to maybe get pulled over and it showed that I was supposed to be on home incarceration and uh, didn't have an ankle bracelet on or nothing, I wanted some papers to uh, show that I was uh, doing what I was supposed to be doing. So I got my traveling papers from her. And I left from Floyd, directly from Floyd County Community Corrections and drove down here and spent two weeks down here at the cabin. I uh, know a lot of other people probably have res, uh, experienced some freedom that was greater than me. Uh, I'm sure that if you had spent time in prison and you get out, I'm sure that freedom is uh, different. Uh, I'm sure that anybody who's in the military and was any kind of issues there where they were detained in another country or anything like that, their freedom was much greater. But the freedom I felt when I came down here after being on home incarceration for nine months and not getting to come down here, uh, well, um, that little stall and pause there was uh, because it's beyond my ability to, uh, to explain it to you. I came down, spent the, uh, I had gotten on some, um, on the computer, try to find out where meetings were at out here. We're very uh, fortunate in Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville metro area, that uh, it's very easy to see where meetings are at. You can look them up on the internet. They are there where they say they are going to be. Uh, corrections are made in a timely manner, and there are so many of them that uh, you just pretty much could catch one at any at any time. Down here, not so much so. So I had uh, logged on and found some meetings and noted them and uh, came down and um, I can't really remember what how the how the timing went. I, I'd have to go back and look, but uh, again, like I've said a hundred times, if I knew I was going to tell this story, and, it, and probably at that time I did know I was going to tell this story and I still wasn't keeping track, but I said, if I knew I was going to tell this story, I'd have kept better track. And the other thing I say all the time is that for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like the timeline uh, will ever works. Uh, I've just been listening to a book called Blink, and uh, it talks about how that like time uh, sometimes doesn't count. Uh, some of the places it talks about it is like when a uh, 
the last 10 foot of a major league pitch to the batter, that happens so fast that no, there's no real way a guy could actually consciously see the ball and hit it. Um, there's something else going on in that process. Same thing with the tennis ball. Uh, talked about like when it comes down to these in the specific uh, circumstances they were using, which neither of those is what I'm like talking about here, but it does kind of correlate to how time sometimes doesn't matter and trying to put these timelines together uh, is really just an exercise in futility. But the uh, talked about a number of shooting events, like when the police end up in some kind of shooting thing or uh, like it went through, talked about uh, when uh, President Reagan was shot. And how, like, just that stuff happens in, like, seconds. Um, and and you really, people don't have any time to really react. And if you'll talk to the people, they talk that everything went into some kind of slow motion. And it sounds kind of funny that things happen in, like, seconds, in milliseconds, actually. And it goes into slow motion, and people will take, you know, a considerable amount of time telling the story. Uh, when the actual event was just was just seconds, so I go back to uh, how this worked out, and I don't know. I'll tell it to the best of my abilities. I came down to the cabin, unloaded, uh, got up, hunted. Uh, the next day, that just just being down here was like I recall standing in the yard with my arms spread wide, spinning in a circle, uh, staring at the sky, looking up in the air, just soaking and taking this all in. I find myself in that position no, since then a number of times. I'm down here just in the, just in awe that I get to have this. Uh, it's another little concept I have a little trouble with. I get to own this little square of the woods, me, my dad, my brother, but I will say me for now. Get to own this little piece, my personal slice of paradise, uh, and and man, I just feel like I'm at home here. Um, so I came down and I went out looking for a meeting. And it was supposed to be at the uh, 4-H building, I think it said, at in English. And it had an address. And I used my phone, and it took me there. It took me to a concrete block building that was dark, uh, almost scary. Somebody was down there doing something in the car. It would probably have been something I would have been doing at a different time in my life. Uh, they were just kind of parked out there in the dark. I don't know if it was a couple or if uh, what they were doing. There was uh, the occasional flash of a lighter came on as I sat around kind of wondering what I was going to do. Um, and there was no meeting that night, so I came back and, and frankly was a little defeated feeling. I remember being bummed, you know, I've been going to a lot of meetings and I was actually excited about going to one down here and and uh, and continuing to uh, participate in my recovery in that manner while I'm down here at, at, at camp. So the very, you know, I went on with my business, come back, uh, hunted the next day, and, and it gets dark early by now, so you got plenty of time to get to the next place. And, and I don't remember if it really was or wasn't, but it uh, seems to me that that was a Paoli speaker meeting and was that I hit on the second night, seems to be. And, oh, again, the timeline doesn't work out, so just bear with me. Doesn't, those details don't matter. So I walked into the Paley speaker meeting. I like to tell this little story is that uh, they asked if anybody's, for this is anybody's first AA meeting ever, and uh, nobody raised their hands. And uh, I could also tell that these guys who were sitting in here, had uh, they all knew each other. And the uh, next question they asked were, is if, if this was anybody's first time to this meeting. Well, they all knew it was my first time 
to this meeting and I raised my hand and what I will tell you now is that when you go to the Paoli speaker meeting and you raise your hand that this is the first time at this meeting, then you are the speaker. And they asked me if I would mind sharing a little bit of what uh, my story and they kind of, you know, however much or however, however much or however little I wanted to. Uh, and as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I was free by now. I'd spoke before. I'd shared my story. I was pretty uh, used to sharing in meetings. And uh, I said, sure. And uh, you know, I'm sure those eight guys that were in that meeting had heard their, each other's stories enough times. And now if you go to Paley, it is not. Uh, it, they've changed that now to a discussion meeting, uh, probably for that very reason. Uh, finding speakers to come uh, probably turned into uh, a problem for them. So bigger story than that is is that when I finally connected with the local recovery community down here I was able to get my meeting list out and uh, let people tell me which ones of them were going on and which ones of them weren't and tell me about meetings that I did not know about yet and start getting plugged in down here as I might say uh, they 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 turned me they I got the skinny from them I knew what to do so then I could plug in down here and, and go to meetings. And, and ever since then, I have made a point to come down and spend. I, I can't do the, haven't been able to do the two-week thing uh, or have chosen not to. And I don't really think I could, actually, because by the time I'm down here for a week by myself, uh, actually already this morning at a period of time, I was already beginning to feel a little uh, lonesome. It's interesting that, you know, I'm so, uh, last week I was so charged up to get down here and be by myself. And now that I've been by myself for a couple of days, uh, and I'm not always by myself, but I'm, I'm by myself here at the cabin, uh, then I start wishing I had some company. I start longing for some connection. Um, it's interesting when, I guess it's, it's kind of the grass is a greener kind of effect. When I'm here, I want some company. When I got company, I want to come down here and be alone. Uh, the solitude that I have down here, that I get to have down here, though, is uh, is essential for me. I, I need this. So I've been coming down every year since then uh, and spending this time, and I reconnect back out at the uh, recovery community out here. They have begun to know me and remember me from year to year. They may not remember my name and and I'm pretty good at remembering names too, but when it goes year to year, I have a little bit of a trouble with it. Uh, I remember some and, and don't remember others. And then when they say it, that's instant, you know, instant recognition. I remember it. But um, so Sunday night, I went down to the, uh, there's no weekend meetings down here, Friday night and Saturday night. Sunday night, I went out to the French Lick Big Book Study and uh, there's just a few people there to it. And then last night uh, for the, I counted it, and actually it's the fifth year in a row that I have been to Larry R.'s birthday meeting. He celebrated 37 years last night. Uh, it's an eating meeting, so I know I'm going to get fed. And uh, you show up an hour early, we, uh, we eat together, and, and then it's a speaker for the birthday, and then celebrate the birthday, and uh, once again get to hear a speaker out here and get to know one guy a little bit better. That's one of the things I always talk about on the podcast is that uh, – I get to know somebody better. It gives me an opportunity to sit down in one-on-one and somebody tells me their story. And, uh, and and I get to know that person a little better. And that happens at Larry's birthday every year. And Larry really is a dude who does the deal. Uh, when you hear people share about him, it, uh, 
You know, he's taking people into his home. Hell, he has he built structures. I guess you could also say, I think they fall short of talking about saying they're actually homes, but has built structures for people to live in that are in trouble, that can't, you know, don't, don't have a place to live on his farm. He'll build them a place, a spot to live in and uh, give people rides back and forth to meetings and to, and to treatment centers and uh, showing up on Christmas Eve to a guy's house to put a, a, a wood stove in their house because their heat had went out. Uh, just just fantastic numbers of stories, and I'm sure that in those 37 years, people can't even begin to share them all. Uh, but it's it's cool to watch it happening out here in the country and, and this whole recovery thing and a little bit of a different... Uh, a little bit different flavor recovery out here in the country than what what's in town, but it still has the same outcome. So that's cool, and uh, always I just I just like doing that. I like catching up, and I told him last night. I said, uh, you know, I actually it run through my head yesterday evening that uh, about three o'clock in the afternoon it started misting rain, and then it turned to sleet. And then by the time I was heading to the meeting, uh, it was starting to turn over to snow, and there's snow on the ground today, and it is really cold. I think the last time I looked at the thermometer, it was still in the teens. Um, I think it was uh, 16 when I woke up this morning to go out. Uh, don't stay out real long in 16-degree weather. I ain't as tough as I used to be. I'll come back in. It takes a lot out of me. I plan to go back out here shortly, though, and see if I can't spend the afternoon uh, it's up to 26 on the, on the wall now, so uh, that's getting pretty pretty uh, pr- pretty bearable, I suppose you might say. And tonight is supposed to be eight. The low is supposed to be eight. I was sitting around where I could circle back to that story. I was sitting around uh, at the meeting last night, and yesterday evening I was uh, as at sleep was or that rain was changing to sleep and I was sitting around and I was thinking about you know if something was to come by uh I don't think I'd shoot it because if I shot it then uh that would cause me to probably miss the eating meeting and eat the eating and the meeting and I really would rather make sure I made the meeting than to uh than to kill a deer of course if a big johnny walks by I don't I don't think that decision wouldn't been that have been uh, a little easier to make under those circumstances. And tonight is uh, Tuesday, so this will be the Tuesday night meeting in Paoli, and I like going to it, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I guess, you know, again, if right deer walks by, and uh, I'm probably shooting it, and if I had to miss the meeting, I would, but that is definitely in my, in my head is that I really would rather get out and commune with my recovery brothers out here. Uh, than to be tracking a deer in the dark. So, the weekend, this past weekend, I came down early on Friday, on a Friday. Again, timelines don't matter. Uh, Hung around, hunted, got the cabin in shape, blew out the gutters, got my gear all spread out and workable and uh, a little bit of maintenance here and there make sure everything is going the way it should be going out here the uh, outhouse heater had uh, bugs that clogged it up so I needed to yes we have a heated outhouse I need to take it apart and clean out the the dirt and it get it going a few other little things and 
later on in the night, I went out to, uh, there used to be a meeting on Friday night, and I didn't note it, and I think it was Friday night, but I think it's apparently, from what I understand from last night, is it's uh, folded up already. Uh, so I went out Friday night to do that, plus I kind of checked my messages and make sure uh, everything is okay on the home front. And as I'm coming back in, there's taillights coming in, and uh, and it's my brother. And so for years uh, now, you know, me and him ran together and uh, drank and party. We came down here and drank, and we come down here and, um, and today I would say we pretended to hunt. We really come down here and drank and and, and wouldn't want to get up in the morning and felt like crap or uh, drag your ass out of bed and go out in the woods for a little bit. And when you'd come back in from hunting, you know, it'd be stop on the porch and get a beer out of the cooler on the way in the door. Uh, get back to it again. Sometimes that meant you were hunting in the evening. Sometimes it meant you weren't. Uh, there was a time in my life when I was down here smoking a lot of pot in the tree stands. Uh, later on, that ended because uh, pot was contrary to my goal of uh, drinking. And if I smoked dope, uh, I could do it as a nightcap, but it better be the last thing I do tonight because after I smoked a little dope, I will be going to sleep. Um, and we partied. And... Uh, and it's hard to say that's actually partying, but okay. I look back at it now and giggle that I now will call that partying. Uh, it's, it's quite, frankly, it's a little bit sad. Now, there was times when it was fun, and we'd have some people down here, and opening weekends of gun season and stuff like that. Uh, it'd be fun. It would be, you could qualify as a party. We'd be cooking and, and maybe have guests here that hadn't been here before. That's always fun, having people down that haven't been here before. Talk a little about that here in a little bit, too. About how we've changed the flavor of deer camp by doing that. Um, and then uh, I started hitting the wall, man. And, and again, that started getting to be where I was down here pretending to be sober. Uh, that was no fun. I actually had periods of sobriety. And then finally, actually, the miracle did happen for me. And then it was a result of that, uh, that those charges and that sentence I spoke of earlier. And I, uh, and I got sober and, and I became a free man. I recovered. And, but my brother was continuing to, uh, to drink. And when you start, we, we, it's come up a couple of times lately. It's like, you know, it's, it's, if, if you, if you, if you got it, you can spot it. Or if you spot it, you can got it, whichever way it goes. And uh, you start seeing how that alcoholism is working on somebody else. And I could see how that was on my brother. Uh, you know, once I had learned and been properly armed with the facts, uh, I could see it and I knew what it was. And it made it tough to be down here. Uh, he'd be, uh, you know, Drinking and not, you know, uh, making it look because he he's uncomfortable drinking around me, and I'm uncomfortable with him drinking around me. And he's uh, what appears to me, this is a a judgment, probably not a fact, but uh, what appeared to be that he'd be trying to look like he was drinking the same beer all night, uh, when he certainly was not wanting to be seen drinking as many as he was, and I can uh, relate to that because that's what I used to do also. Uh, make it look like I was uh, not drinking as much as I was. 
and he'd slip upstairs for a bottle out of the uh, out of his bag, out of his, out of his duffel bag, and I could hear that uh, very distinct glass clink as it maybe caught the zipper on the way out of the bag or something like that. And uh, and and I knew what was going on, and I and I just didn't uh, obviously didn't say anything about it. Uh, it just created some weird energy. I think we could, I think we would kind of dodge each other uh, to some extent. You know, he'd come down when I wasn't coming, and vice versa. I started having recovery things down here, uh, and I'd let him know that that's what I was doing. Um, knowing that, you know, drinking wasn't going to be something that was allowed while we were doing those things and um, had those retreats. And then this past spring here in, in May of uh, 2019, I uh, had the biggest retreat to date. And uh, that Saturday evening as we sat around the campfire, we had uh, 32 men around the campfire. And during the day, I was going, going up to the top of the hill now and again to get cell phone service to see if uh, people were maybe lost or were uh, calling in saying they're not coming, uh, any number of different things. And I uh, went up to the top of the hill, and I had a voicemail that's from uh, from my sister-in-law that said her and Neil had stopped drinking. And uh, another miracle occurred in my life of uh, here I am doing this recovery thing and really never did... Uh, you know, I'm sure I, it was. There was uncomfortable stuff, and there was that. But I never. I don't think I ever put the "don't drink" crap on him. I don't think I ever laid that on him. I, I'm pretty sure that I did my best to stay on my side of the street on all that, and let him have his journey. And uh, <clears throat> and I think it was a health scare for Tracy that ended up being the the defining factor. His his wife. And uh, so now. Um, Yesterday, actually, they celebrated or would have hit their six-month sobriety uh, and did, not would have, did uh, hit six months of of, uh, of sobriety. And Neil was down here this past weekend for the first time, him and I sitting at deer camp, uh, the two of us sober and on that path, too. Uh, there's, you know, you can be down here sober and, and not be happy about it. Uh, we were both down here sober on purpose, and and rather than have that funny energy and what to talk about, and my life is frankly wrapped up around recovery. So if you're going to be talking to me, it's probably going to have something to do with that. And when a guy's drinking, it's just kind of funny to be talking recovery, right? So this weekend it wasn't, and uh, another miracle happened, you know, and another one for the list, and I should put it down. Um, he saw the TSSR book sitting around and uh, asked about it a little bit. And although uh, one of the things I want to make sure I continue to do is stay on my side of the street on all this, uh, support uh, his recovery in whatever way that he needs me to do that, uh, but not be putting my shit on him. Um, I certainly, one thing I don't want to get in the way of somebody else's sponsoring. He's has a sponsor and is, is working down that path. And uh, I wouldn't want somebody to be monkeying around in my sponsoring. So I damn sure better not be doing it to somebody else, right? Along this path in the past six months, you know, I've been able to actually be sitting in a couple meetings with him. And uh, he'd come into my home group meeting one night uh, on uh, our Tuesday night meeting. And um, 
although some people in there had heard me speak about my brother. Uh, I don't know that they, you know, no, there was a few people probably in that meeting that knew who that was sitting over there, but uh, not many. And uh, we were talking about uh, miracles in recovery, which is a topic I tend to share on quite often. And, uh, and I was sitting uh, talking about that in the meeting and my turn to share. And uh, I was a, the, the, the air got sucked out of the room as I pointed out and said, today's miracle is that my brother is sitting in a meeting, a spiritual underground meeting with me tonight. And I pointed over at him and a collective gasp sucked the air out of the room. And um, that is just uh, miracle stuff and cool. And here he is kicking over six months. And we get to sit around deer hunt together and change the energy. He's actually talking about doing his fist step down here with his sponsor. And uh, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned a number of times of doing fist steps down here. That's uh, become a tradition for me and where I bring uh, folks I work with to do fist step. It's a sacred place to me today. And uh, it's always been a sacred place. It's changed to a different type of sacredness now. And uh, I think if I'm counting right, I've done 12 fist steps down here. Uh, that just blows my mind that that's happened. Um, a lot of cool shit has happened down here, you know, six men's retreats. Um, the Indiana State Convention was in French Lick in uh, 2016. That was the very first time I had guys come down here with me and do recovery-related stuff. It's kind of dry run for everything else or a warm-up. We came and stayed here, and we went to the Indiana State Convention, and I sat down in the meeting Sunday night, and they announced that the uh, 2020 convention, Indiana State Convention's in French Lick again. So I think I'll uh, wrangle up some fellers to come spend the weekend here, and we'll go up and do a little hanging out here at the cabin and do some uh, go up and, and participate at the, uh, at the uh, convention that weekend. So that leads me into the next thing. Last year, for the first time, I uh, invited some fellas down here to do a sober deer camp. We did it in the muzzleloader season. We did it the first weekend of the muzzleloader season. And uh, there's some reasons for that, which I won't go into here. Um, we did a podcast from in that, and it was actually it was in December of last year. It was before we actually released any podcast, but we recorded one here at deer camp that night which is now, you can go back and find it. It's one of the first half a dozen ones in the, that, that were released. And we talked, uh, we hung around and we fellowshiped and we went out deer hunting. Nobody got anything and, and uh, that was okay. I do would like to see us kill something. Uh, that's something part of hunting, right, is to, uh, to do that. I haven't killed a deer since 2000. I uh, killed the first deer, uh, I, you know, kind of one of these, maybe alcoholic thing. Uh, I wanted to be the first one to kill a deer from the cabin after we built it. And I did that and um, really haven't killed much else. I did kill a, I killed a hen turkey with a bow in the fall of 2012. It's right there on the wall. Uh, October 27th, 2012. And in the past 20 years, uh, I probably killed a squirrel or two or some, something else down here, maybe. Uh, we used to go around and kick up some rabbits. Uh, those kind of things really don't stick in memories. Uh, but those are the only two things that I've killed down here since then. Now, some other people have done some killing and, and killed some deer. And There's a big giant buck right here up over top of my 
head here that was killed down here by 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 guests that that came and now i'm in possession of that shoulder mount today and i'm glad i got it um it is a it is a it is a monster deer um may even make that picture of that deer the uh the uh photo opportunity on the website for this podcast speaking of that it's like a mid-roll you get paid more for mid-roll advertisements uh dtmww.net that is my uh woodworking and handyman website it's uh really just got woodworking on it but you can find me and contact me there or dan at dtmww that is dtm woodworking that is Dan the Man Woodworking in acronym. DTMWW.net. Uh, we will wrap Darren Frank's music around this podcast. Go to Amazon and get spirit, uh, 12-step spiritual recovery. 12-step spiritual recovery. Uh, you can get the full volume or you can get the volume one and two. Uh, a little handier to hold when you got those smaller books. That is by James Christopher Cohn. It is a master level course in the 12 steps. Uh, as I've said before, the magnum opus, the, the great compendium, the uh, Optimus Prime version of the 12 steps. And uh, I kind of took that from uh, one of my favorite podcasters that does hunting podcasts named Steve Ranella. I've been listening to some of his podcasts while I've been down here this week. And spiritualunderground.org, which is something I haven't been mentioning much lately. I notice as I've listened back to some of the podcasts, I haven't been hitting on that. Spiritualunderground.org is where you can find those uh, pictures and some show notes and links to the podcast. And uh, uh, that'll be where the spot where you can go see a picture of this deer if you, uh, if, if you choose to do that. So... Um, had a little hiccup there, so oh, coming back to the the hunting thing and uh, the sober hunt. So this year I'm uh, got that planned again. Uh, it's in just a couple weeks. We're actually going to be doing it in firearm season this year. Um, got six guys coming down with me. Y'all heard Nick? He's a, a chef and he's been on uh, his stories out there. And his uh, him and Mindy were on uh, talking about uh, recovery and in in relationships. And he's been on a few of the roundtables. Well, he's also a chef, and he uh, I'll try to quote this the best I can. Uh, paraphrase it, maybe. Paraquote it. <laughs> he says his language of love is cooking, so we let him cook for us. And he, so he says, let me love on you by doing that. So he cooks uh, and plans some of the meals for that weekend. Uh, I usually get up and fix breakfast because I don't hunt uh, while those guys are here generally. Uh, I'm more playing guide and not taking up a spot in the woods we don't you know there's there's a bunch of property down here we have 54 acres uh but you put six guys on 54 acres and it's pretty you know that is that's covering it up now we are up against hoosier national forestry and i carry around a little map sitting right over there on the table of my little pile of gear matter of fact a little map at uh best that i can tell it has somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 acres on it uh, some of that is neighbor's property so that I can see like where their property lines are. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the big chunk of that is Hoosier National Forest and, and property we have access to, like ours and a couple of neighbors that, uh, that, 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 that allow me access onto their property. So anyway, six guys 
uh, get to be, um, you know, if everybody knew where they were coming and we were like hunting here for years and years and everybody knew the area and could go where they wanted to go and felt safe doing that, the six guys would be pretty easy and I could hunt and maybe that's where we'll get someday is that everybody will know the way around enough that, uh, that, that I don't have to play the guide role so much. Although I like doing that. It's not that I, you know, that's the wrong way. I get to play this guide role right now. That's all inconsequential to be honest. That's it. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter one bit. What matters is, is, uh, get together and do this fun stuff sober and, and, uh, you know, probably my brother will, uh, uh, tag along for, for next year. Uh, we'll see how that, how that pans out. Um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, uh, with that going on. You know, I've got my buddies and, uh, and from recovery that have been around for a few years, uh, and now my brother's welcomed into that circle and uh it just has a little little it's it's just just got some funny energy in it uh, i'm sure it'll it will evolve if we allow higher power to do what what they what they what it does a couple other things um you know i sit out here and meditate in a tree stand and 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 second guess whether you know as you get this grass i have constantly battled with the grass is always greener kind of thing i used to do a really good job of keeping food plots and i had almost like four acres of food plots out here for years and it's another thing it just fell off as a pro in a pri as a priority of my life uh takes a tremendous amount of time to come down here and plant that and that's like in like eight little food plots too um well, it's not like a big four-acre field. You just come and disc up and and, uh, and plant and fertilize. Um, you drive through the woods to this little spot and through the woods to this little spot, and and uh, and it, it's a big commitment. It takes a lot of time, and I just haven't been able to keep up on it. And I tried to actually back down and um, just do maybe a couple acres of it, but then we had some tractor problems, and uh, that shut that down. So there's no food plots out here at the moment. Uh, some of the residual stuff still comes up in there, and the deer, I think, still come through those same areas. I know they, they do because I put the deer cameras out, and I see them. But it makes it a... Uh, when you had the food out here, it made it a whole lot easier to pattern and and know where to hunt. And uh, now that you don't have those concentrated areas the deer are coming to and from... Uh, it makes it tougher. So I'm out in tree stands always doing the grasses greener. I Man, I should be in this other stand. I should be in this other stand. And then, I'll, then also, you know, I don't want to burn out a stand. You can overhunt one and, and leave too much scent around and, and then not really see them. And I've been doing that in recent years. It used to be that I would be down here from October 1 through. And I would kind of burn out once gun season come in. Uh, but for that month and a half, I would hunt every weekend if I could. And, and I think I kind of, we would kind of burn the, the burn it out down here with scent and activity. And so the last few years, I've been trying to kind of leave it alone during October and come down here and hit it good like this time of year when when things, uh, when when rut really starts firing up in early November. And I think I have seen some, uh, that seems to have paid off because every year I at least get an opportunity or I see uh, a few nice deer and um, last year I missed one, missed a big nice deer, missed him twice. A uh, year before that I, I shot one, I hit him dead in the shoulder. And I'm shooting a long bow, and if you have had a compound bow or a crossbow or something like that, it might have drove through that shoulder. But 
with that longbow, it did not, and uh, I didn't. I don't. I doubt that. Uh, I doubt that that was a mortal wound. Um, but anyway, I, and that's part of hunting. Uh, you, I don't want to wound animals, but it's part of hunting. And uh, well, back to my point is that I think let this place rest a little bit during October has helped the November hunting. Now down here, probably you know, uh, well, it doesn't. You know, there's some other factors too going on. There's the rut, which you know everything goes out the window when that's going on. That's the mating season. What they call the mating season for deer is the rut, and when that's going on, uh, things go out the window. The bucks are chasing the does, and and the predictability kind of is gone of what the deer are doing. Uh, you just kind of want to be around the does. Uh, the bucks will come looking for the does. And when the gun hunters come in the woods, I said on that 2,000 acres down here, for the most part, I have that to myself almost all year round, except for two weekends a year. And one of them is next weekend, which is the opening weekend of firearm season. And the other one is the opening weekend of turkey season in the spring, which is usually like the last weekend in April. And I, when that happens, uh, we share these woods for a little while, no big deal, but my point there is, is that when this opening weekend and the gun hunters start moving in, uh, patterns of what deer are doing is out the window again. So you put the rut on top of uh, a, a huge number of people coming into the woods that aren't normally here and, uh, and, and making loud noises with, with rifles and shotguns. Uh, pattering, any pattern, any pattern you might have on a deer or deer movements is... Uh, is is null and void and not like i've been some kind of like major league deer hunter and, and had a handle on that anyway but I've, I've been uh with the trail cameras and things like that you can kind of uh you can kind of do that and that's what this big deer up here on the wall was uh it was kind of a result of uh of getting some pictures in a location and the guy going there and happened to bump heads with him because we knew this deer happened to be coming through that area now and again. And it was related to a food plot also. So um, anyway, kind of got to rambling there about deer hunting and, and, and philosophies. And uh fact of the matter is, I just like coming down here. And I like coming out and sitting in the trees and I take a book with me. And so a great place to read. My buddy Mike, which you have also heard on the podcast a couple of times, uh, he bought me a book by Richard Rohr in, uh, back on my 50th birthday back in August. And I haven't had an opportunity to sit down and read it. I do a lot of audio books today. Uh, one thing I do know is that when I listen to audio book, I will zone out and quit listening and be thinking about whatever I'm thinking about. Uh, I can do that reading also. I can, I can totally turn a page on a book and, and and know that my head was someplace else and I didn't read it. But down here is a good place for me to read. And uh, so I'll sit around in the cabin in the evenings and or I sit out in the tree stand and uh, and do some reading while I'm uh, while I'm hunting. If the conditions are right, you can usually hear deer coming before you see them. So uh, if you're reading, you can hear those footsteps and, and get the book put down in time sometimes. Uh, and sometimes just sit there and let them walk by and keep on reading. But this book is really cool. Um, I kind of had my, I shared, uh, 
shared the beginning of Anthony's podcast, which would have come out this past Sunday about Mike and I going to his church and and having the open mind and being able to listen. Uh, I've had a closed off mind to anything, to most things Christian for, for quite some time. And uh, those walls have come down considerably. Uh, I would like you to think that they came down completely, but they haven't. And when I get a book like this that says uh, the title of it is The Universal Christ, uh, my walls go up again a little bit. And um, and I'll kind of set it aside. But I also have a little obligation. I have this little feeling like if somebody buys you a book, I feel a little obligated to read it. Uh, that's not completely true because, you know, somebody sent me something that wasn't anywhere up my alley and I just did not care to read about it. Maybe they give me the life and times of Britney Spears. Uh, I just really am not going to read that and, uh, and don't feel obligated. A few years ago, before I was ever even thinking about this particular topic, um, my girlfriend at the time bought me uh, the book Baron Baptiste Journey into Power. It's a book about yoga. And um, and I had no real interest in it at the time. Uh, I guess, you know, that's probably not correct because I wouldn't have read it if I had no interest. But I certainly didn't have any interest in it uh, at any real level. And um, it had all about the poses, but it had the yogic lifestyles and stuff about diet and exercise and mindset and meditation and things like that. So I read it out here that year. And uh, lo and behold, that's the manual that they use when they do teacher yoga teacher training. And, and I had already read it uh, once. Uh, when I went into my yoga teacher training, so uh, Higher Power knew what it was doing then by uh, uh, putting that book in my hands, and, and I thank her for, uh, uh, thank you, Renee, for, for, for turning me on to that uh, book, and hopefully uh, I'll be able to uh, get back into that soon. I, I had a little uh, hiccup back a few months ago where um, as I changed jobs, and I had a little back issue and had a side almost two months ago exactly. I had a couple times where I've tweaked my back and uh, doing handyman work. And, and one time in the airport and uh, lifting up a suitcase. And then about two months ago, I had this sciatic nerve episode that like put, brought me to my knees. Uh, was the most severe pain that I have ever experienced in my life. I have broke, I've compound fractured my leg. I fell off the roof down here at Fargo. Uh, I've done a lot of, I've, I've hurt myself pretty good a lot of times and nothing was like that sciatic nerve issue was. Um, got to the emergency room and um, the pain subsided and my foot went numb and it still is now. Uh, I'm on a road to recovery doing some chiropractic rehab and uh, he's just turned me loose to do some exercising and get back to yoga. So I hope to get back into the yoga again. I think that actually kept me. I'm gonna. I, I have it. My gut is telling me that when I change jobs and I slowed down off of my um, normal routines from the past, my my nine to five kind of job, that whenever I started doing this thing and I started laying down, I started backing off on my yoga, and that's probably. I, I think that's what actually is. Uh, the, the, the catalyst for this back thing happening. Uh, as long as I was engaging my core and continuing to practice yoga, I was, I was putting a buffer up around the problem. The problem was there, but the uh, yoga was putting a buffer up around it. And then when I didn't, it, uh, it had that episode. And now I've been advised not to do it for a little while. And I'll take that. You know, you go pay a doctor to give you advice, which uh, the chiropractor is a doctor. Uh, pay him to give you advice and then not follow it. That's... Uh, 
That's the old, that's old behavior. And so I don't do that. I listen to him and now he's cut me loose to, 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 I'm doing some slow exercising and getting back into the yoga thing. So put making that back into, trying to bring that back into a piece of my life. I want something I'm going to concentrate on doing. Got a couple other goals I need to be hitting by the end of the year. Some things about getting this uh, business running officially and um, a couple other things I won't go into, but back to this book is that I had these walls up on this book, and the reason I had a wall up on it is because it says the word Christ, and uh, it's pretty quickly to the quick way to get me to throw my walls up is to talk about Christianity, talk about Christ, talk about Jesus. Um, and fact is, is that all that is very valid ancient teachings that uh, that, that 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 are there for us to to learn by. And I talk about some of my other. I don't know if I've actually said it here or not about never having felt like I never got the hell. I'll tell it. So in a minute, I'm gonna sweep back to this book. So, well, home incarceration story. And if I've told it before, you just had to hear it again. Uh, about 90 days in, I did tell this on the on a, I think I told this on a uh, YouTube video. It didn't get on the actual podcast. About 90 days in, I uh, had a. Uh, I was I was. Every week, I'd had to go in and turn my verifications in from the week before, and turn my schedule in for the next week. Uh, they would look at my schedule from past week against my verifications, make sure everything I said I was going to do, I did. And um, and I would turn in my schedule and go on. Well, the girl was there that day, or the people who, I shouldn't say girl, but the gal that was working that day, uh, the people who normally handled me weren't in the office at the day. So I was meeting somebody for the very first time. You developed a relationship with these other people, and they just kind of, knew you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. Uh, this girl didn't know me, so she didn't know that. And so she was looking at my paperwork a little, with a little more scrutiny. And uh, and she said, hey, I see on Sunday you went to your parents' house for an hour. How come you're only going for an hour? And she looked over at something else and she said, you've been in the program for 90 days now. And I said, well, and I kind of giggled. And I was like, well, um, that's what they told me I could do. And I said, you know, went on and saying, you know, one, t- one thing I said over and over again was I knew that I wasn't going to mess this thing up on purpose. My biggest fear was I was going to mess it up by accident. And uh, I frankly didn't. I thought that there wasn't a guidebook because maybe that was all part of the game. You know, you just had to kind of, that kept you on your toes, man. You didn't know what the rules were, so that kept you on your toes. And I, and, and I just kept on... The way I would learn the rules was either I would break a rule and they would tell me that I cannot supposed to do that, or like in this case, they told me that there was actually something I could be doing more than I was doing. And uh, and I kind of said that with you know a smile on my face and in a good good lighthearted nature. And she reaches over in a drawer and she opens it up and she picks it this, this stapled together. I don't know thirty fifty pages of eight and a half by eleven copy paper that's stapled together on one corner and picks it up and says, "You didn't get one of these." And across the book it said. Uh, HIP participant guidelines, which was home incarceration program participant guidelines. And I smiled and uh, said, no, I didn't get one of those. And I, <laughs> I was really laughing at it. I was, you know, well, and, uh, and she looked at me with some very uh, quizzical eyes and 
slowly put the guidebook back in the drawer, slowly shut the guy, the drawer with never taking her eyes off of me. And my mind was telling me what the, she was asking herself, what the hell did this dude do that they didn't even give him the guidebook? And I said, can I get a copy of that? And she said, I will talk, I will ask, uh, I will ask. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So I saw Janine a little bit later and uh, asked her and she gave me one, but the, the, my point here on this story is that's kind of the way I, that's pretty much the way I felt all my life is that there was a guidebook out there that everybody else was privy to that I didn't get. And uh, the 12 steps and specifically the TSSR methodology uh, gave me a guidebook uh, for life and a way to operate. Uh, you know, that's not my parents' fault. That's not the education system's fault. I'm not going to throw any blame anywhere about that, me not getting the guidebook. Uh, maybe some of all that's true. Maybe none of it is. I don't know. doesn't matter. Uh, but what I do know is that uh, that's the way I felt. And, uh, and that, that, that home incarceration story kind of drives that, that thought home. And at the same time, um, you know, this... Uh, I'm finding the, the, that the, the Bible's got a lot of those uh, guidelines in it also if you're just open to interpretation and have the right kind of mentor to teach you. And, you know, if I sit down with the 12 steps in a closet, I'm probably not going to get that much out of it. But when I hang out with some guys that know about it and I get a mentor or a sponsor and they help me see what that book and what those rules mean, uh, they're not rules, but you know what, you get, catch my drift. The guidelines, the suggestions is the way we put it a lot of times in the program. Um, and that's the same thing that I've, uh, I've neglected opening up my heart to throughout my life is uh, these rules and these guidelines that come from biblical philosophies. And, uh, and, and, in, and my heart's being open to that stuff a little bit more here and there. One of it come off of that visit uh, a couple of weeks ago. One of the, one of the uh, guideposts, one of the signposts that, that I know that's happening is because of when I went with Mike to his church and they talked about the 12 steps and, and Mike's uh, uh, transformation that he has had in the past year or so. And you know, over this past seven years of sobriety, but specifically over the past year or so. So Mike gives me this book. I'm a little hesitant to read it. I thank him. It's a gift. I feel some obligation to read it. I bring it down here to deer camp because this is a good place for me to read and someplace I can do it in solitude and not like get uh, squirreled off. Although actually, um, that's funny that because that's what I see more of out of tree stand than anything else is squirrels. So I still can technically uh, get squirreled when I'm reading but, um, and I'm getting, I just seeing a lot of stuff and I'm, 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 I'm getting out of it. Uh, just share just a little bit. I'm not going to do no book thumping on you here at any level, but one of the, one of my favorite people in the world is Thomas Merton. Uh, he's a, was a Trappist monk down at Gethsemane. We have that December trip down to Gethsemane. A lot of people that in our, in our lineage around us go do their fist steps down there with another, uh, alcoholic down there, a brother in the, in the, in the, at the Abbey, and uh, this is a little quote that's in the front of this book. It says, No despair of ours can alter the reality of things, nor stain the joy of the cosmic dance, which is always there. You know, we do our poor, poor, pitiful me stuff, and, uh, and our despair cannot alter the reality or stain the joy that is happening out in the world. We have blocked ourselves from that. Um, quite a few other really cool things in this book, and... Um, 
you know, if you want to open up your uh, mind a little bit and looking, you know, uh, my, one of my buddies said, I draw from all the ancient spiritual teachings uh, and, and I don't subscribe to any specific one. I really like that. Uh, I would have said the same thing to you, but I was obviously had some bias in where I come from that. Uh, there were things that I would not um, there were some things that I was not open to because of the uh, because of being tied to Christianity. You tend to create a God who is just like you whereas it was supposed to be the other way around. Like that, that another guy told me in 12-step recovery, uh, I was always trying to make God my man. Uh, what I had to do was make me his, uh, make me his man. I like this line in here. We would have helped history and individuals so much more if we had spent our time revealing how Christ is everywhere instead of proving that Jesus was God. And uh, I'm a little bit premature in saying this, but uh, he's trying to, he seems to be, same way if you heard me say uh, like this God word, uh, if I, I liken it to, uh, to, to saying Kleenex or Coca-Cola. Uh, it's just a term to use. Uh, it may not mean the same to you, uh, that box of Kleenex tissues might have come from uh, Myers. They might have come from Kroger. They might have come from Target. Uh, they might have come from the dollar store. Uh, now and again, somebody actually does have Kleenex brand Kleenexes, but we all still say, uh, hand me a Kleenex, and nobody gets offended when it ain't a real Kleenex. Uh, it's your own conception of a Kleenex. Hope cannot be... So my point there is, is that uh, you think he's using the word Christ in that manner of that's this universal Christ is this universe. He also gives a definition of that. Uni is one, right? Uni, one. Verse is rhythm, uh, is one definition of what a verse is. So one rhythm, universe. Hope cannot be had by the individual if everything is corporately hopeless. It's hard to heal individuals when the whole thing is seen as unhealable. I have never been separate from God, nor can I be, except in my own mind. There's just a ton of good stuff. I uh, might take a pen with me. I've, I've already started underlining some stuff and marking this book in some places, uh, things I want to uh, carry with me. And when I underline them, it helps me like imprint them or anchor them to my, to my, into my being. So as I sit, here at deer camp, colder than hell. About time to get back out in the woods. Put on my warm clothes. One good thing about hunting is uh, over the years, I've got some fantastically great cold weather gear. And I'll need it today and tomorrow for sure. It shouldn't stop the deer from moving. Um, there's a little bit of a lack of a better way to put it, uh, manliness, masculine, going out, toughing the weather. It's part of hunting. Uh, there's some things that uh, I've noticed lately. There's some heated body suits. And, and I think if I'm not mistaken, one of them, you plug it into a USB port and it pre-charges the, the suit. And then when you go out, you uh, 
turn it on and it keeps you warm. And and I have a little problem with that uh, at some level. It's like, uh, and I use them shake them up hand warmers, you know. So I'm like, well, you can't you can't use those and 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 not like that. But part of part of hunting to me is actually going out and braving the elements, and going out and sitting out there and, and being a little uncomfortable. You know, uh, yoga says that a lot. That uh, try to find some comfort, some ease in the effort. Try to find some comfort. Uh, sometimes life ain't comfortable, you know. And, and part of the trick is is to find uh, find uh, some comfort and some ease in in things that are just not. They're just they're just frankly not comfortable. Uh, whether if it's uh you know you deal with uh, tough issues. Certain Bill Wilson says life's certain trials and low spots, and you have stuff happen in your life and you got to find some way to deal with it right you got to find some healthy way to uh, walk through life's sufferings Um, this book also says that you know that basically life is made up of of two things primarily suffering and love and you can't have one without the other Uh, if you're going to have a true loving relationship you're going to have to uh, sacrifice some things and and that can be looked at as somewhat of a suffering kind of thing not suffering as so to speak as you know is is the term we think uh, a lot of times but and um and vice versa sometimes when you go through some tough stuff together man it'll create some love that uh that, that 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 is like cement um buddha says life is suffering right uh, I always say, I always try to throw in just a little tweak of that that says life contains suffering. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it all is. Uh, I, I, I don't find that to be the case in my life. So we practice little things in that, and I've shared that in yoga about finding some ease in the effort, and they talk, they coach that. And, and that's practicing for real life. Uh, if I practice on the mat, then I can... Uh, when, when life really does hit me, I've got some tools where I've practiced doing that. I think that's what meditation is, too, is to be able to get grounded when things are happening. Do I need it right now? No. When I wake up this morning and I meditated, no, I don't necessarily need to meditate this morning. I'm doing okay. I really don't have much worries out here. I've got plenty of firewood, a four-wheel drive truck, the refrigerator's full of food, and I really got nothing to do for a few more days. Matter of fact, I don't have anything to do until Monday. Uh, I'm supposed to pick up the kids. Their kids are going to be with me this weekend, but I could probably dodge that if I wanted to. Uh, but did I have to meditate this morning to get by with all that? Nope. But something can happen. And uh, shoot, sometimes it's standing in line. Sometimes it's a traffic jam. Uh, sometimes it's a tough thing going through um, personal relationships with people in your life uh, where I had to breathe through it. Um, I got a close friend in my life that had a few days of some uh, rugged experience with a family member, and I'm going to keep that as generic as possible. Uh, but they're uh, working the tools and uh, and breathing through it and stepping away from it once in a while and, and doing some deep breathing. Somebody talked to me the other day, a sponsor talked to me the other day and said they had some anxiety over something and went and did the box breathing, the four-by-four four box breathing, where you breathe in for a count of four, Hold it for four, breathe out for four, stay, exhale for four seconds, count to four. And uh, that's called box breathing. I don't think there's anything any special to it. I think you could do threes or fives. Uh, what it is, is getting you to focus on your breathing for a few minutes. And by counting, that makes you focus on it. And uh, that, for some reason, has some magic that takes you out of the moment and allows you to separate yourself from this anxiety-creating circumstance. 
uh, give you a little break, a little step away from it. it is it is basically the same thing as like a, if you were in a heated argument with somebody of stepping outside for a minute and just putting a little space between you and whatever that is that's got you upset. So back to my thing. There's a little bit of that to, for me sitting out here hunting in uh, in inclement, spe- specifically inclement weather. I mean, I was here the other day, and I don't know what was this is. Uh, Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, I don't even remember, man. The days just roll in. And it's one of these beautiful fall days where it's, you know, 55, 60 degrees. Uh, it's cool enough that you're you're not, like, overheating out in a tree stand. Uh, and it's just that got that fall smell in the air, and, and it is just as comfortable. I couldn't be more comfortable. The ones where I, you know, um, I don't know if I said this for sure, but when I got here after that home incarceration sentence, I stood in the front yard and I arrived here, man, and I just, I found my arms completely outstretched to my sides, uh, looking up into the sky, spinning around in a circle, just taking this whole thing in um, like a little kid. Uh, it was just like uh, heaven on earth here. And um, and sometimes sitting up in a tree stand is the same way, and I find myself down here doing that. I can find myself doing work on the tractor, and I'll stop for a minute and uh, and and just take in this little personal slice of paradise I get to have be a part of. And so some days out in a tree stand are like that. Other days, man, you got you're bundled up, you're wondering if you if you got so much clothes on, can I even shoot my bow? Uh, and and you and you sit out there and uh and and suffer through that in the uh in the uh pursuit of uh this thing called wild game hunting. Uh, and, and even though that I'm probably the chances of me shooting something are, are so low, I still sit out there and, uh, and take it in and, and experience it because uh, it's not. Uh, sometimes things are not as they seem. Came into 12 step recovery. I thought I was trying to stop drinking and doping, and I was. Uh, it has gone so much far, it's gone so far beyond not drinking and doping. It's crazy. It, that's not even a thing anymore, really. Uh, it's it's about living a life worth living and having a purpose in my life and and it's a funny thing the same thing has happened with this hunting and stuff is that uh, uh, you know once upon a time I was out here to kill something uh, today what I do is uh, I hunt peace and serenity and I kill time and and I come out here and recharge my batteries and and by November of every year I need that in my life uh, I need I need this week out here. And I'm very fortunate and grateful, uh, and I recognize that uh, many people can are not able to do this, A, because they don't have a place to do it like I do have. B, uh, if I was married, I'm going to venture a guess that I would not be able to do this. Uh, with a couple kids at home and this kind of thing, uh, I don't think my partner would be too cool with me uh, disappearing for a week. Uh, could be wrong, and maybe I, you know, find the right person, and also, you know, give them that opportunity to do the same thing, uh, and you can do that. But uh, I know I'm out on a skinny limb when I say that. But uh, and people just don't have the wherewithal or the means or the want sometimes to come and do something like this. Uh, I'm grateful that I get to come out here and spend this week. I'm grateful that I got to do it. Get I get it. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to do that. Uh, have my my brother down here for a weekend, and he's not drinking, and and we can we can do this recovery thing together in that regard. Uh, 
I'm grateful that I get to share this with my brothers in recovery and have them come down and do things like retreats and and, and sober deer hunts and go to uh, state conventions and and participate in my recovery in many very unique ways uh, that, that higher power allows me to do that. Um, it's, 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 it's simply a miracle. Where's that word again? Miracle. <sighs> There's my sigh. I think I'm done. Um, Darren Frank's music spiritualunderground.org dtmww.net that is also on Facebook and Instagram and spiritualunderground.org Spiritual Underground is also on Facebook and Instagram 12-Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn uh, you can get that on Amazon you can go to 12stepspiritualrecovery.com for more information about that, we got a Facebook page called 12 Step Spiritual Recovery. We got meetings going on in Louisville, uh, co ed meetings, meditation meetings, women's meetings. Um, check that out if you're looking for some 12 step in your life, whether if you're a current 12 step person or not. If you are interested in those tools, uh, see us, contact me, come to a meeting, buy the book. Um, I think that is all for today. I'm going to put on my warm clothes and uh, go sit in the tree stand, maybe see if I can stick it out till dark. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And as always, thank you for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner and in many other ways. Peace out. Always try to be just who they wanted. Always try to do everything they said. Only give the things they would approve of Lock away all your dreams inside your head Year after year you try to be a good girl They never failed upon how when you were bad Stuck to the program like a robot Trophy for mom and dad But inside you want more Everything you've been waiting for Looking for that open door So every day you're in your bed And your heart just keeps saying
Work hard.